Welcome to Our Hen House. This is Marianne Sullivan. And this is Jasmine Singer. We are so thrilled that you are joining us this week in our homes in uh, upstate New York. We have mutual homes in upstate New York, and we will be talking about that a little bit. And Jasmine then will be interviewing one of our favorite people on the planet, the amazing, dynamic, unstoppable Jane Villas Mitchell. Boy, she has one big personality, I got to say. And she'll be telling us all about her newest endeavors on behalf of animals, especially including her vegan cooking show on Amazon. It's really, it's truly amazing interview. I love her. We've known her forever. And she is really, truly like the Energizer Bunny. And it's just all about saving animals and changing the world for animals. So she is one of our favorite humans. And so she joined us as well on the bonus segment. We'll be hearing from her a little bit more with that. As always, if you're a Flock member, you'll get a link to the bonus segment in your email on the Tuesday after this podcast episode goes up, or you can always find it on the Flock Facebook group. If you're not a member of the Flock and you can afford it, you can join for $10 a month at ourhenhouse.org slash donate. Also, we're still doing our Flock Friday Zoom calls. That's our special COVID-19 Zoom call. Well, they're not all about COVID-19. They're just to offer each other support during COVID-19. And they're at 4 p.m. Eastern time. And sometimes it's just the flock. Sometimes we feature special guests. They're always really, really good. Our flock is so special. I know. So if you're a member of the flock, check out the flock Facebook group for updates. Or you can always write to us at at info at ourhenhouse.org. Hope to see you there. And so this is the first time I'm recording from my brand new office in my brand new apartment in the Catskills in New York. And as you know, if you listen regularly, I just moved from L.A. back to New York where I lived for a very long time. And it's but you have never lived in upstate New York before. No, it's a whole different. No, I I did. What do you mean? You did? Well, yeah. When did you live in New York? Oh, yeah. You lived here. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) You lived in... (laughs) But that was such a short amount of time. Well, it was, but like, anyway. it was like over a year. I mean, the, but it was that was right. like over the river. It flew by. It flew by. Yeah. Uh, this is a slightly so different area. So tell us area. about Greenville, which is, uh, as you said, in the Catskills, but it's not like high in the Catskills, deep in the Catskills. It's sort of on the edges of the Catskills. Right. And it's super cute. Yeah. I think we've mentioned before that it has a super cute drive-in. It does. It has a drive-in where I, I have tickets. You have tickets with me to go see some things coming up, which is exciting. And the Woodstock Film Festival is going to be playing at the drive-in out here, which is like a few blocks from here. So it's a very rural town. Less than 3,000 people are here. Uh, on one side, I've got the quote-unquote town. So the the uh, inn, which has like an espresso bar that has an outdoor pickup, and the library, which has outdoor pickup, and a little bookstore that I will not go in because it is not part of our pod rules. And on the other side, we've got a trailhead, uh, lots of hiking, just finished a big hike. In fact, I'm late to record this because I was literally lost beside a cornfield. Thankfully, I had service, so I got to show you the cornfield and tell you that I was lost by it. But it is a, a big change, and it's exactly what was needed for the pandemic, to sort of ride it out. That sounds like a very good place to be during the pandemic, at least for the moment. We never, mm. we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow since we just don't know anything about what's right. going to happen. But for now, it does feel like you're in a pretty decent place. Uh, yeah. And 
I'm very jealous that you have hiking right in your backyard. I mean, I do have hiking around where I am, but not right in my backyard. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. I assume you have lots of animals running around. Yes. And the speaking of animals running around, when I first got into town, the first the first people I went to go see were you and Rose before I even got the key to the apartment, Mm -hmm. like just swung on by to see Sweet Rose, which was real treat. Still, as I'm recording this, our things haven't arrived because they've been delayed. They're they're supposedly arriving tomorrow, but I'm like living this minimalist lifestyle for like a very short amount of time until the 18 wheeler comes by. I was in your apartment yesterday and it really didn't look that empty. And it is a little scary that you're going to get that much stuff to add to what you've already got. I know. I know. Believe me. It's like, it's when you and I went to Portland several years back for six months, we just like basically had what we could fit in the car. And I think we shipped a few boxes as well, but that's it. And I thought, oh, this is going to be hard. And like, literally, if I had never gone back to New York City, where we were living at the time, like I never would have missed any of that stuff. I mean, it's 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 a good lesson. I mean, it's a lesson I know rationally, and I tried to get rid of a lot of stuff, but there's still so much crap like coming, and I don't even know why or what it is. I mean, whatever. But anyhow. I do recall that when we went to Portland, we took only the essentials, which included something around 15 stuffed animals. Well, yeah. I mean, it's the essentials. What do you mean? I don't... What do you mean? (laughs) We took the family. What are you talking about? Anyway. So, uh, yes, I, I did just go on on a beautiful hike, which included like the sort of packed dirt. And then it got really rural and it felt like it was really in the middle of the woods. And I suddenly realized I don't know what to do if I see a bear, which was a really city, city, silly city person reaction <laughs> to hiking. Yeah, I don't think there are bears. In, I know. It's just the, the it, foothills of the Catskills. It Cat didn't skills, make sense to a me. half an hour outside. But Albany. remember that time we saw one when we were going to Gretchen's and we got lost? Yes. And we saw a bear. Yes. That was. And yes, I do. I, we were staring at a bear and it took us both a second. We were in a car and I was still a little scared. Yeah, it was terrible. <laughs> and it, it was not a grizzly bear. It was a black bear. So and cute. I'm sure he was. I don't. I was going to say he was more scared of us. That's not true. But I don't think he was scared of us at all. all. He just, he was eating out of a bird feeder and he just continued. Wow. He he glanced at us and said, yeah, Yeah. hi. Hi. And then just finished his meal. Though I have, my new neighbor is uh, like a woodchuck or a groundhog. They're the same, they're the same animal, right? Like a woodchuck and a groundhog. I believe that that they, that is a name. They are two names for the same animal. There's loads of them around here. They're so sweet. I'm trying to find an answer to the question though. How much would yes. could a woodchuck chuck? <laughs> if a woodchuck, yes, exactly. But I also saw this bunny today and it, I was so excited because you don't see bunnies hopping around West Hollywood. And I just thought you're so cute and fluffy and you're in your element. Let's eat you. Yeah. I don't actually. <laughs> That's what you that. always say. I don't actually That's what think you that, always but say. it's like, you know, as an animal activist kind of being in the wild and we see these animals who are totally pristine and like just being themselves and being authentic. And I just think about humans and what fucking asshole shit shows we are and how we would like look at that little bunny and just think dinner. I mean, it's mind blowing when you're closer to animals who are, you know, in our lives and just like puttering around, being cute, gathering wood for their little river thing that they're doing. And it's a bunny. It's a bunny. Like how, I mean, you know, okay, if somebody's starving. Yeah. 
you know, better you should starve to death. But, you know, if you're not willing to do that, okay. But none of you are starving. No, I'm sorry. I don't, th- I mean, no. Even just if we're not- like to kill bunnies. Well, hold on. But even if we're starving, it's not like you actually think we should eat them. No, I, I didn't say that. I said, I, you know, like I understand that some people have that impulse. I, you know, it's, it's an understandable impulse, like survival. That's just totally not what we are ever talking about. That's the kind of crap they start, They want to say to us. They want to say, well, what if you were starving and you had nothing else to eat and you saw a bunny? It's like, well, I'm not starving. I'm never going to be starving sitting in the woods and I see a bunny. So stop with the nonsensical but, questions. Like, you, when that happens, I'll figure it out. And the desert, and we'll just, the desert island question that all vegans get, you know? Yeah. Like, but same I, question. You know, what's so yeah, funny is basically. that this time of COVID has basically been like, a, at one point or another, was like a desert island. And what food was missing? Meat. So that was like our giant desert island. And meat was missing because it's it's an unsustainable food. It is unsustainable to for the slaughterhouse workers to work in that kind of a setting without being exposed to COVID. I saw it while I was driving. I still get the alerts on my phone from LA. And I got like an alert that there was this chicken factory in California, I think up uh, right outside of LA, that had like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of workers there got COVID. So it was shutting down. And I, I remember interviewing Seth Tibbet from, you know, from Tofurky for the Faces conference that recently aired. And it was it was awesome. The uh, interview was and he was talking about like how the precautions he was able to take at the Tofurky factory are completely impossible to take in a slaughterhouse. Like you can actually space mm-hmm. people apart and put plexiglass in between them and like all of the all of the things that you need to do, but not in a meat factory because it's an unsustainable system. And when I saw that little bunny, I just thought run away, <laughs> go fast, go fast and take me with you, please. I want to live in your little bunny colony. And he was like, fuck off. You're you human. don't really, you don't, really. I don't, I don't. That's true. You want to live, you, you want to live amongst your enormous, staggering, overwhelming amount of stuff. Okay. I thought you which, were going to say, which will be arriving at your car, at your house tomorrow. I thought you were going to say my enormous amount of stuffed bunnies, like stuffed animals, which is <laughs> not untrue, but let's move on. I've been getting curbside pickup per, per my parameters around, around COVID. And it's funny because, you know, there's a grocery store right, right here, but I have to go a lot further for the curbside pickup. So it's like, it actually goes right by you, which is perfect because I can stop and see Rose and we're, we're in a pod. So we have our little pod rules, obviously. We have strict rules. Not everybody has rules. The I, same I think as ours, that people... And I am not here to criticize anybody. Right. But I do want to I do want to tell this thing. When I heard somebody say on a podcast I was listening to, I thought this was so compelling that be, just it's just human nature that every time you do something that might be dangerous. And I'm not saying whether, you know, going into a store is dangerous or not. But, you know, like, let's say something that really is considered dangerous, like, you know, going to a wedding without masks or whatever. Every time you do that and you don't get it, it either consciously or even subconsciously just reinforces the idea that that's okay to do now. And of course, that's not how it works. You know, you don't, you don't get the virus every time you do something careless. Every once in a while, you do something careless and boom. But, you know, most of the times you do something careless, you don't get it. But it's human nature that every time you get away with something, it reinforces your belief that you can do it again. So I'm trying, what we did was we set forth in order 
to decide that we could interact with each other, we set forth a bunch of rules and they're pretty strict. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I'm trying to stick to them. Yeah. So I would just say that as a, uh, you know, I'm not criticizing anybody's rules because I, I am done with that nonsense. But just think about that piece. Right. That, uh, you know, there is some, and I totally rang a bell with me. I think it's, you know, applies to a lot of things. It probably applies to eating animals in some way. Every time you eat an animal, like, and and nobody yells at you and, and, and right. you don't get in trouble for it, you think, well, it's okay to do that. And then you yeah. do it again. Every it, It's anything you get away with. Right, right. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting part of the, I haven't listened, but you told me about that podcast. And I think it is really interesting, like, human behavior, like, it's just what I you think just it said. Was the, I think it was on the Osterholm update. I know I did hear it from Michael Osterholm, and I think it was on his own podcast. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, you told He's me He's an epidemiologist. It. I think that's yeah. fascinating. I mean, I'm not, I'm like, I, I'm definitely not risk averse, but I'm not like overprotective either. I think I'm somewhere in the middle, but I have certainly known people who just, you know, whatever, nothing's going to happen. It's a mindset. And like, that's scary, you know? But anyway, because we're in a pod, I, I was able to pick up some stuff from you. And one of the things... I got like some furniture you no longer needed to sort of tide me over in this moment where I have nothing. One of the things I got, if you're listening and you're a longtime listener, you might recall that we had the Our Hen House TV show for a couple of years and that was shot out of Brooklyn. And when we were working with uh, Brick, which is what the production company was, they had gotten a giant bus stop ad in Brooklyn. Like there were a couple of them. And it was like ma- a massive thing. I remember still we were living in Park Slope and I remember going for a run one day. It was super surreal and turning the corner and there it was like staring at me, us, like our faces and our hen house. So afterwards, we were able to get the bus stop ad. And and when we were living in the Hudson Valley, I framed I got it framed in like a big giant poster frame. And it's basically been collecting dust in your basement. So I I admit it, I did not hide this enormous picture yeah. of you and me in my living room. Well, I, I didn't. It's just it's it says it's just a big <laughs> ad for our hen house, and I I love it. I love it. So I got it. It I, it was it went in the U-Haul that I rented. You'll have to take a picture and post it to Facebook. Okay, it's like the size of my wall. I mean, it's like eight feet tall. <laughs> anyway, so it's very, it's exciting to have it in my new office that will soon have other crap in it too. And I don't know what it is or why I have it. And then right after I did that, the next thing I did here was register to vote and apply for an absentee ballot. So I got to do that. I had my timer on to not be in the building for longer than 15 minutes. <laughs> and and I feel so glad that that's done. So glad because voting, we have to vote. We do have a rule for things that have to be done in person that, uh, yeah, everybody has to have masks on and and you have a 15 minute limit. So, yeah, in, in person inside while maintaining social distance, if it's essential. Yeah. If everybody listening to this, uh, you know, the rules for absentee ballots are different in every state, so we can't tell what they are. But but uh, you can go to vote dot com and figure that out. Everybody in the U.S. that is. I imagine you would have to go to a different website if you're somewhere else. And it's not quite as crucial, though I'm sure it is important, but it's not quite as crucial to the fate of the world as uh, our election. So, you know, get on that, everybody. Yes. Speaking of the U.S. of A. and my recent travels, like as soon as I left L.A., 
it basically started burning. I mean, oh, it's very horrible. Like, it's like it's I, I'm unreal. completely freaked out. Yeah, I remember when I first moved to LA a couple years ago. I was living in Santa Cruz briefly, and then I moved down to LA from there. And I remember it was a heat wave. This was like the summer of 2000, maybe 18 or something. I might be wrong. And no, I think 18. And it was 116 degrees one day and I was walking to my car and my ears started burning and it wasn't like sunburn burning. It was like they were baking. And that to me is what I think of when I think of like the kind of heat. LA was having 115, 120 degree weather in areas that don't generally get that hot, even at night. And so, you know, I work at Kinder Beauty. I do the content there. And I had written a newsletter about um, fall and like, you know, beauty tips for fall with a vegan bent, obviously. I was writing the newsletter. I wrote it before I left and I saw that it was published. And Andrew, who I work with there, went in and edited it before it went out. And he lives in Denver and he added something to it that said that there's a giant snowstorm happening right now in Denver. So... At the, and and like the whole piece is about fall. So we've got the piece is about fall and how to like lean into fall beauty tips. The meanwhile, LA is burning. Like our my friends were having blackouts in in this kind of heat. Obviously, we all think about the animals too. The animals who are the, I mean, it's literally burning. Not only is it super hot, but there are fires everywhere. And then in Denver, there's a giant snowstorm. And for some inexplicable reason, people continue to eat meat. And support animal agriculture. I don't know why this podcast is ending up being like a report on all the other podcasts I listen to. But I was listening to the Ezra Klein show. And he had this guy on Seth Griffith, who I thought was great. He was an environmentalist. And, you know, he said that we still have time to avert the absolute dire, most worst threats of, of climate change. So we do have to get it on right away. And basically, he was saying, you know, we can't be asking people to give up everything, give up everything. What we have to do is electrify everything and then and then get the grid started on um, sustainable sources like solar, of course, and, and wind and whatever. All right. That was the gist. It was much longer than that. It was very good. It was very intelligent. Then they start talking about meat. And he admits that he eats meat. And he's really a little defensive about like whether should people should stop eating meat. And of course, thank God he was talking to Ezra Klein or the subject wouldn't have even come up. But I'm like, what the fuck? What the actual fuck? Yeah. Like, wow. What is that? I mean, I still think it was worth listening to for all the other advice because it was some of the most, you know, it made me feel like, all right, we're probably not going to pull this out, but it actually still is possible. I mean, not to obviously not to avoid it because it's here, but to make a real difference and avoid the worst of it. And it's feasible. And it doesn't mean that everybody has to like give up everything that they own. And then it gets to me. I, I'm repeating myself now because it freaks me out. Yeah, that's that's completely freaking me out, too. Like there's so much that's freaking me out lately. I think that when we have moments like this where we're totally freaked out we also get the opportunity to really latch on to the change makers in the in the margins in the corners the ones who are moving things in the right direction and that's one of the reasons why i love our guest today jane velez mitchell but it's also one of the reasons why i love our our henhouse supports vegan businesses segment and this is something that we've been doing since covid started as a way to support vegan businesses that are struggling right now so if you're interested, go to ourhenhouse.org slash vegan businesses and fill out the form or share it with the vegan business owners in your life so we can make an announcement. And let's all do our very best to support our community during this time. 
All right, I want to do the first one. Can I do the first one? Can I do the first one? Because it's <laughs> yes. cool. Yeah, it looks like we got, we uh, got this. This is actually recommended by, by one of our favorite flock members. Well, all of our flock members are our favorites. <laughs> but one of our very favorites is Jessica Ava. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, it's, co- it's, all right, it's called Veggie Victory. And it's located in Nigeria. And it's founded by Hakim Jimo. And it's a black-owned vegan restaurant and plant-based meat company. It's the first vegan restaurant and such company in the entire country. Uh, of course, if you're in Nigeria, you have to you have to get there. But if you're not in Nigeria and you can't manage to get there, they're currently running a crowdsource campaign raising funds for vegan hunger relief to orphanages during the COVID lockdown. And so you can support the company and support these children and support animals all at the same time. And you can find them on justgiving.com. And the name of it is Veggie Victory. Or you can also find them at veggievictory.com. That's cool, cool. right? Yeah, super cool. Thanks, Jessica. Our next business is Ecolips. If you're not familiar with them, they are the creators of the original organic lip balm. 90% of their products are fair trade. They are certified B Corp. And they only use cruelty-free ingredients. In fact, their recyclable lip balm containers are made with 30% less plastic than conventional tubes. And... They really do make organic products accessible to people everywhere. I love them. I use them. I'm personally a very big fan, and I'm glad that they showed up on this sheet today because that means that someone out there loves them too. So check out Ecolips. Our final selection is also a Black-owned business. It's not in Nigeria. It's in Washington, D.C., which is more likely that some of you can get there. Have you noticed that uh, you know our, our new... I can't remember Jen's title, but she runs everything. Director of Jen operations. Marina runs everything. Director Empress. of operations. And she she recommends these these businesses for us to announce. And they're, all of the restaurants are in the D.C., Maryland area, which is where she is. She, we were like, Jen, just add things. We're going to have like, to broaden this. Add things that you like. Add things that people submit, but also things you like. And she's like, oh, I like this one. I think that I works. Here less, we have right? a lot of listeners yeah. in that area. And also, it's true. I have it's to say, true. too, that even when I'm not in the area of the places we're shouting out, I will f- start following them on Instagram. And I've been really enjoying it. I know you hate Instagram. We don't have to talk about it. I don't hate Instagram. I just hate doing Instagram. Oh, OK. Like, I'm not good at it. Got it. Got it. OK. Anyway, go I ahead. Hate, I also hate looking at it. But that's well, other than that, you love right. it. <laughs> All right. This is called New Vegan. That's N-U Vegan. Uh, where compassion meets nutrition. And you can find them at ilovenewvegan.com. And they're a family-owned business. They've got three locations in D.C. uh, or the D.C. area. And their mission is to expose your taste buds to the undeniably refreshing and delicious nature Mm. of eating natural. Things that are made for the soul should not only nurture, but satisfy the soul. Lovely, lovely. Mm-hmm. And so they're, they're serving delicious vegan food and their menu items, which are all vegan, include things like raw cow salad, mac and cheese, crab cake sandwich, chicken drummies, mm. vegan fried steak, lasagna, yum, 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 yum. Oh, warm jumbo cinnamon rolls. Come on. I know. So um, if you're in the D.C. area, check them out. New Vegan. I love newvegan.com. Cool. And that new is spelled N-U. Perfect. Awesome. Thanks, Jen. (laughs) 
And thanks everyone out there who's supporting that if you're in the area. Maybe someday Jen will, Jen will go on a vacation somewhere and All then we'll right. get some restaurants no, I from like there. It when Jen, you're going to make her feel bad and she's going to stop doing this. No, she should feel good because she has great, great recommendations. She does. She does. She's All one right, of my favorite brains on the planet. Yeah, speaking of one of our favorite bra- brains on the planet, Jane Villas Mitchell is definitely one of them. So why don't you introduce her? She has so many things going on. I can't even list them all, but I'll do my best. She's the founder and editor of Jane Unchained News, which is a nonprofit social media news network reporting on animal rights, veganism, health, and climate change. They have 70 volunteer contributors around the world. Their videos are seen by millions. And they also have a daily vegan cooking show on Facebook. But recently, Jane Unchained has launched New Day, New Chef, a vegan cooking series streaming on Amazon Prime and on public television stations around the nation. The network also just launched the show's Support and Feed edition to promote vegan restaurants feeding those in need during this pandemic. I love that. She also uh, produced the award-winning documentary, Countdown to Year Zero, now, which is also on Amazon Prime Video. It lays out animal agriculture's leading role in climate change. Now, there's a timely topic that will become more and more and more and more and more and more timely. She's won loads of awards. I can't list them all for her reporting on animal issues. For six years, she she hosted her own show on HLN CNN Headline News. Check that out. And she ran a weekly segment on animal issues. She's a powerhouse, and she will be joining Jasmine right after this. Hi, everybody. This is Jasmine. And this is Marianne. And we have a very important announcement for you today, which is to please join the flock already. <laughs> yeah, I guess we've never, we've probably never mentioned that before, right? I don't think we have, no. <laughs> yeah, but it's like now is more important than ever to join it because now is when we really need media that is speaking the truth about animals. And that is what our hen house does. So by joining the flock, you are supporting media such as our hen house to keep going. And we literally could not do it without your support. So for $10 a month or $100 a year, you will become part of this super special insider crew, The Flock. Yes, and in addition to supporting us, which is really the reason we hope that you will join The Flock, we try to make it worth your while. And I think we really do because we've got this terrific Flock page, which is a private Facebook page only for members of The Flock. And the conversations there of late have been outstanding. So good. I know. It's like a private only Facebook group just for The Flock. It's thought provoking. It's supportive. It's encouraging and there's lots of resources there that I didn't know about and so I'm just always so grateful to our conversations there and in addition to that we provide bonus flock only content every single week it's like an additional little podcast just for you for the flock and it's fantastic yeah actually you know it was it was a big decision to start doing that because it was a lot of extra work right in the beginning but now that we've got it going, I'm so glad we did because I really love those little interviews. They, I think they're turning out great. They really are. They are sort of blowing my mind every week, week after week. So join the flock by going to ourhenhouse.org, clicking on donate. And for $10 a month or $100 a year, you will become a flock member. And we will also be offering you exclusive access to our undying love and affection. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, everybody. Thanks if you're in the flock already, and thanks if you're about to be. Thank you. Welcome back to our henhouse, Jane. I am so thrilled to be here. I love you, Jasmine, and I love what you guys do at our henhouse. And thus concludes our interview with Jane Velas Mitchell. Thank you for joining us, Jane. (laughs) 
I'll be back soon. I'll be back. <laughs> Thank you so much for speaking with me today. You know, you've been on the show before. You've been involved in the Arhen House lexicon for a, a long time. And in that time, since we started, you have done more projects than any other human being I, I have ever met in my life. Like we were doing the research for this show, for this episode. And Marianne was helping me with the questions and with the research. And she's like, I don't even know where to start. Like you are a force to be reckoned with. Well, you know, for 38 years, I was in the news business where every single day we did two stories and we never broke for lunch or anything. And so I'm used to getting up and just running to do something. That's the news business. And that is sort of ingrained. So I'm always thinking about deadlines. My philosophy is nothing gets done without a deadline. And I give myself deadlines, try to meet them. And I feel that we all need to accelerate how we do things. We only have till 2026 to create a mostly vegan world, or we're going to experience an ecological apocalypse mm. that's going to make what's happening today with climate change look like a tea party. So to me, there's urgency. And every course I've ever taken about being effective always talks about a buy when. And that's why when I met Dr. Silas Rao, who is a Stanford PhD systems analyst engineer who used to work with Al Gore and split from Al Gore because Al Gore doesn't talk uh, certainly sufficiently enough, if at all, about animal agriculture's impact on climate change. And I saw him at the Rowdy Girl Sanctuary in a field talking and I was going live and I said, wow. Bingo, what I've been waiting to hear all my life. Somebody who doesn't just say, first of all, he articulated, we need to have a vegan world. If you cannot even state what your goal is, how the heck are you going to achieve it? So you have mm. to set a grand intention. And so he said, we're going to have a vegan world. We're going to do it by 2026. We know why we have to do it. All we need to do is find out how to do it. And when he said that, it just crystallized everything in my mind because a great change comes with grand intentions, whether it's the civil rights movement, the women's rights movement, ending the troubles in Northern Ireland, you have to state what you want. And what we want is a vegan world and we have to do it right away. So if there's one thing I leave everybody with, if you're a vegan, become an activist, get busy. Every meal you create is a potential show in a sense for an audience. Everybody has a network on their cell phones. A network is simply a production company with a pipeline to an audience. Everybody with a cell phone has a network. They need to start using it. So, Jane, when you just started talking, you mentioned 2026, and that's a little jarring to hear because, well, everything these days is pretty jarring to hear, but 2026 is very soon. What is, why 2026? Well, you can watch my documentary, Countdown to Year Zero, which is on Amazon Prime, that outlines exactly why. Uh, Dr. Rao is, in my personal opinion, a genius, and he lays it out very quickly and very clearly in simple terms. <clears throat> we've given planet Earth a buzz cut. Trees absorb carbon. Without the trees, we will continue to see the acceleration of climate change and the rise in the temperatures. So what we really need to do is end animal agriculture, which uses most of the land. When you fly over the United States and you see all this farmland on the ground, 
you think, well, we're feeding America. No, we're we're growing crops to feed farm animals. We're only 7.8 billion humans. Mm-hmm. We are raising an institutionalized torture and killing 70 billion plus land animals, not including fish. Those animals eat far more than they produce as food. And what we could do is if we got rid of animal agriculture, we could reforest the cattle grazing lands and the farmlands that are producing all the food for farm animals, leave the small portion that is used to feed human beings, who are a tiny minority of sentient beings compared to animals, farm animals, and by reforesting that area, then we could immediately begin to bring the temperature back to where it was about 200 years ago, and our species and the other species will survive. And so what we did in the documentary is we followed Dr. Rao down to Costa Rica and visited a forest that used to be a cattle ranch. And he pointed out how quickly you can reforest in temperate climates. We all know this. If you don't take care of your yard, all of a sudden it's growing. And so we need we need foliage. We need green. And that's one big way to do it because most of the forests are being destroyed. They say logging, but that's really a byproduct as we've seen in the Amazon, which has destroyed an area more than 20 times the size of Manhattan since the beginning of 2020. That is primarily for cattle grazing land. The logging is the byproduct of clearing the land. Wow. There's a lot there. And I I do recommend that people watch the documentary, but I could talk to you just about the documentary, but there's a lot more I want to get to as well. And you mentioned Amazon, which is which is a place where you have found a home lately. And so I want to jump in with New Day, New Chef, in case there are any listeners who don't know about this yet. This is also on Amazon. Can you describe this show for us? Let's start with the original version. Okay. Well, it's a fun cooking show. Got to give a shout out to uh, my co-creator and the amazing director-producer, Eamon McChrystal, who, if you look him up, was an Irish tenor. And <laughs> we just immediately hit it off. Also got to give a shout out to Gianna Simone, an actress and activist in Hollywood, who's an amazing vegan, who introduced me to Eamon. And she's just, this is the collaborative kind of spirit that we need to work in. We can't be considered competitors against each other. Like you and I could be considered competitors. We are both in media and yet you're interviewing me. I always try to support you. And this is how we have to operate. In fact, when the head of Impossible Foods was being interviewed on cable not so long ago, the reporter said, well, you know, your main competitor is Beyond Meat. And he said, I'll stop you right there. We're not competitors. We both have the exact same goal. I wish them the very best. And this is the spirit we need to work in. And it's also a metaphor for veganism. For me to live, somebody doesn't have to die. For me to eat, somebody doesn't have to be killed. So it's not a zero-sum game. And this is the primitive mentality that basically underlies our current culture. And we've got to evolve past it or we as a species are going to die. So this is... Uh, Just one little example that Gianna did a show called Love Gianna on Amazon Prime, where she interviewed a lot of vegan doctors. I uh, had done Countdown to Year Zero, the documentary. And in speaking with Eamon after that, he was the one who got it on Amazon Prime. We worked together thanks to Gianna's introduction and we were chatting and I somehow mentioned that my dream had always been to do a vegan cooking show 
We on Jane Unchained, our nonprofit news network, we do a daily vegan cooking show live on Facebook called Lunch Break Live. As soon as I found out that there was something called Facebook Live a few years <laughs> ago, since I was in the news business for 38 years, always pretty much mostly live, I was like, oh, hallelujah, I don't have to edit till four in the morning anymore. We can just do it and get it out. And that's my mentality. I, I respect people who do long-term projects where they labor over things for years. I have a very short attention span. So I want to get it out right away. Dumb beats perfect. That's my motto. And uh, so we do these daily vegan cooking shows. We've never missed a day. In fact, today I'm going to do one. But we have people around the world doing it, especially now. We're all operating remotely pretty much. Everybody's doing it from their homes themselves. So I was telling him, yeah, I do this daily vegan cooking show on Facebook. And it's uh, we've never repeated a recipe just accidentally. That's how much variety there is in vegan cooking. And I said, my dream has always had been to have a cooking show. In fact, once many years ago, a couple of decades ago, I pitched the Food Network and you know how that went. And of course, <laughs> advertiser-based media, which is primarily funded by meat, dairy, and pharmaceuticals with an occasional insurance commercial and uh, a few other things thrown in. But primarily, it's meat, dairy, pharmaceuticals they're not going to put this content out there because obviously they're beholden to their advertisers. Subscription-based formats like an Amazon Prime are more likely to accept the content like this. So he said, well, we can make that happen. And next thing you know, uh, through our nonprofit, working with Eamon McChrystal of Inspired, we got eight episodes on with some fabulous chefs. We did it in a studio Pre-COVID. <laughs> pre, well, that was season one was pre-COVID. Yeah. And we did um, eight episodes uh, featuring two chefs each making incredible vegan dishes. And it was a big success. At one point, it was like the, I think, fourth most watched cooking show on Amazon Prime. It also is now airing on public television stations around the country. It also airs in England and Ireland. And in fact, Eamon's Father is trying out a lot of vegan dishes, and he always calls me and tells me, oh, he's cooking with mushroom uh, broth now. And so we know we're having an impact with New Day, New Chef. It's a very fun show. It's in a studio. We have three taste testers who test the food, and we try to show how much fun vegan cooking is. Every time we turn on the blender, we all dance. And so that took off, the blender dance, and we even made T-shirts that said, Come blender dance with me. <laughs> I think it was a takeoff on the uh, <laughs> Lynch Twin Peaks fire dance with me. But anyway, um, yeah, it's a great show. It's fun. It's easy to watch. It's not preachy, but everybody tells their stories. We have bodybuilders. We have incredible, incredible people who show us that we, the plant-based crowd, are like you. We're not different. We're not hanging upside down from a tree. We're part and parcel of our culture and we're growing. Yes, absolutely. We're growing for sure. And so is your platform because when you started on Facebook Live, like you said, it was just you and now it's people all over the world. But I do remember back in the day when you were hosting Issues with Jane Velez Mitchell, which was on HLN, I remember going to visit your studio in New York City and the elevator took me up, the doors opened and there was a table of vegan brochures right when the doors opened. <laughs> and so this is something you've been advocating for a long time. And I know that what drives you and what drives me is what's happening to animals. I'm wondering if on 
your show, on your cooking show, you're able to go into issues about what's happening to animals and why you've chosen the messaging you're using, or is the cooking just sort of like bring them in with the food? We bring them in with the food. And then we did a second season, which is up on Amazon Prime, New Day, New Chef Support and Feed Edition. And they're they're sort of together. Like if you sign up for, for New Day, New Chef, you'll see New Day, New Chef Support and Feed Edition right next to it. I, I urge you to watch both. I urge you, if you're vegans, please write a review because that brings it up in the algorithms and then more pre-vegans will see it. And Support and Feed Edition of New Day, New Chef, we work with Maggie Baird, who happens to be Billie Eilish's and Phineas's mom. So some of the biggest superstars right now in the world. And um, in fact, they make surprise appearances on the show. So Maggie Baird is just an extraordinary woman who is a vegan. They're all vegan, Billy and Phineas. And they are giving and they're proving to the world that we care about people because one of the unfair knocks is that we animal activists don't care about people. And we do. We want to end human world hunger. We want to reverse climate change, which is devastating communities of color, particularly hard. In fact, if you look at the immigration crisis, people are fleeing and they always say fleeing violence. Violence may have occurred because the climate is no longer temperate and people who used to be able to be subsistence farmers living off their land, growing and eating their own food, cannot do that anymore to the extent that they used to. I mean, you go from extreme wind to extreme rain to extreme heat. And so those folks then have no way to sustain themselves. So they start moving up north. And so almost every single problem we face, a healthcare crisis, immigration crisis, certainly the climate change crisis, all of it centers around our abuse of animals in the food system. And obviously the pandemic that we have, which is a zoonotic virus that jumped from animals to humans, probably bats to pangolins to humans, likely, even though there's some conspiracy theories out there, but it certainly came to the world's attention at a slaughter market in China where most of the people who first came in sick had been. And uh, so all of these problems. So Maggie, what she does is she raises money through support and feed she gives it to the vegan restaurants. You can go to supportandfeed.com and then it keeps them afloat during this very perilous time. They make the vegan food. Her team picks it up and delivers it to children who are struggling, children's charities, senior centers, first responders. And it's such a brilliant concept because it exposes people like doctors and nurses to vegan food. And then it also gives nutritious food to those struggling. And when I heard about Support and Feed, because when this pandemic started, I was so really uh, upset about so many things, obviously people getting sick and dying, but also all these vegan restaurants that we've supported suddenly being in crisis. Well, she's single-handedly through Support and Feed. I shouldn't say single-handedly because it's obviously a huge team effort, but her concept, Support and Feed, is keeping these vegan restaurants alive. And so we did a show featuring the restaurant owners who are part of Support and Feed. And so we showed, for example, Pura Vita in West Hollywood, Sun Cafe in Studio City, PBJ LA in downtown LA Central Market, Jackfruit Cafe, run by the incredible Angela Means, a one-time actress who was in, famous for the movie Friday. She's the Felicia uh, in that phrase, by Felicia. 
and many others. And we have a lot of celebrities along with Maggie Baird. Uh, we have Joanna Krupa. We have the amazing Elaine Hendricks. We have the wonderful Mark Thompson. We have Lori Allen. We have so many different people, Katie Clary, Georgia Fox, so of CSI, all these folks are vegan. And one of my favorites, they're all my favorites, but Leslie Nickel, who you may remember from Downton Abbey, she's Mrs. Mm -hmm. Patmore. She plays the chef or the cook on Downton Abbey, and she in real life is a vegan. So we have all these vegan celebs. We have these vegan restaurants and Sage. Oh, they made an mm -hmm. incredible burrito. And we also have Dr. Neil Barnard of Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, who explains the nutritional benefits of the key ingredients in each recipe. So I could go on and on. It, it was, we shot this during the pandemic. And that's why I always give a shout out to Eamon, because we had sort of committed to doing season two when the pandemic started. And I was like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do now? Because we had put some you know, down payment on it, which we raised through the donate to raising donations. We're a 501c3 nonprofit. Mm -hmm. So if you're wondering, how did you get these shows on? Because we all know that almost every person who's a great chef in the vegan world has a sizzle reel and they want a show, but they're trying to, if you're trying to sell a show, it's a lot harder. What we did is we did it through our nonprofit. We raised funds to, to give the show and put it on Amazon and public television. So that's one of the ways we got around the blockade and got this on. And indeed, it is uh, the first full scale in studio, like in a sound stage vegan cooking show that could easily be on a food network. And mm -hmm. one of the things that I hope is to inspire the food network and the cooking channel and all the other TV shows that do cooking is to start doing plant based cooking. The time has come. And sometimes they need an example in order to get it to that next level. So like that. Mm. Wow. There's a lot there. And I, I think that what's so cool is that you're making this a replicable thing that you're, you're trying to create a space for mainstreaming, not only veganism, which is starting to mainstream for sure, but the vegan cooking shows, which are very hard to come by. You don't see them very often, a lot of times because of that issue with the advertising. Like it's, it's difficult for the advertisers to be selling their, you know, meat deli slices during the commercial for something that is talking about how we should be opting for plant-based food. Are you a good cook, by the way, or are you just sort of like reaping the benefits of spending <laughs> your time with other good cooks? Well, having spent many hours now over several years watching some of the best cooks and not so best cooks, like on Lunch Break Live, it's not like we have court on blue chefs all the time, although we've had them. But we have people, people from all walks of life making vegan food. Mm. And so what I've noticed is your cooking style is a metaphor for you. It reflects your personality. So some people, they start cooking and they're meticulous. I'd say the most meticulous person, and he will also be featured in an upcoming episode of uh, New Day, New Chef, is Matthew Kenny. He mm -hmm. is meticulous and everything he makes, and of course he has so many restaurants, one of my heroes, he keeps everything completely clean, completely, uh, it's like almost like a surgeon cooking his food, meticulous, and he, he is so successful with so many vegan restaurants. He is really a hero to the vegan movement. And uh, then other people, it's like a bomb exploded when they're done cooking their recipe. For me, I burn everything. I, I have a tendency to burn things, which me isn't too. that a metaphor <laughs> for my life. I want everything done immediately. I'm the same way, yeah. I don't want to wait. 
Yeah, the the pans, the pans in my house, they mm. go so quickly because like there's they constantly have to be soaked with some kind of Ajax type powder because they're just cruelty free, of course. Yes, of course. The, uh, there's something called uh, the bartender's friend, which mm. is a vegan powder that mm. is not testing on animals. And, but anyway, I pretty much should just buy a case of it because all of my, you know, <laughs> all of my products, all of my pans and pots are totally caked on with, with burned material. Cause I'm the, I'm the same way, which actually is an interesting, not only metaphor for our personalities, but it does make me think of the fact that we're now living in this world where we are really cut off from the next person. I did manage to see you. We took a, a social distance walk with our many, many little chihuahuas. We were and like a little me a mask. That's right. That's right. We were like a little chihuahua sanctuary walking uh, <laughs> six feet apart in, in Venice Beach or something. Like It was kind of funny. How is this affecting you personally with the quarantine? I mean, you, you strike me as the ultimate extrovert and you do so many things. Have you found opportunities in this mm. like lockdown or oh, is it? Yes. Oh, yes. Again, I don't want to sound like it's all roses. I, my heart goes out for people who are suffering, who've lost their jobs, who've lost their lives, who've lost their family members, who are sick. However, you have to make the best of whatever you're handed. And so we immediately, when the pandemic started, we had just had a party to celebrate New Day, New Chef, a rap cast party, and it was very fun. And then we started hearing about, oh, this pandemic. So we decided to change our model. And just like every other channel, a network in television has a whole lineup of anchors, we decided to create an anchor lineup, which we proceeded to do immediately. And now we have more content than ever before because it used to be that uh, while I would do something called live talk every day where I'd interview people like yourself, who are not necessarily cooking, but who are doing interesting things in the animal rights movement. We interview sanctuaries, we interview animal rights organizations, lawyers, doctors, everybody doing something to wake the world up. But uh, I realized, wait, I, it doesn't have to just be me. I said, we could have a whole anchor team. So now we have, I would say about 12 shows that go on weekly and it's super fun. Chef Babette, who was also on New Day, New Chef. In fact, Amazon picked picked her to feature as the fe featured photo, an extraordinary woman who runs Stuff I Eat in Inglewood. And she is ripped. She's 69. She tells everybody. And she's got the body of a teenager, completely buffed. And uh, her manager, Tara Bennett-Smith, they have a show. And we also have uh, Lisa Carlin, who's with uh, she's one of the Food for Life instructors with Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. She interviews doctors every week. Elizabeth Alfano does a vegan business show where she's had some of the leading people who are leading uh, the way to the vegan economy, the people like Ethan Brown on. And we have Lindsay Baker, who does the animal rescue stories. So she's do, working with, for example, animal sanctuaries that are rescuing farm animals from depopulation and finding them homes. We do fundraisers. In other words, we support their fundraisers. Like we don't create the GoFundMes, but we promote whatever it is that the people are trying to promote. We also do help sanctuaries. Uh, Love Always Sanctuary here in LA needed a fundraiser for a variety of reasons. And we've been working with 
them. Uh, Jane Elizabeth, who's an incredible uh, vegan, who uh, is somebody who's lost a lot of weight, like 80 pounds on a vegan diet. And she is doing an evening of music and poetry to raise funds for Love Always Sanctuary. The first one we did was very successful. I think it raised about $4,000 for them and we're doing another one. So now that we have this whole lineup of anchors, we've got our booker, Paige Parsons Roach and her friend, Sherry Johnson, I believe is her last name, doing plant-based in the burbs, two moms who do plant-based. I don't want to leave anybody out. One of the things that I've learned the hard way is anytime I start mentioning somebody, <laughs> I realize, oh my God, I forgot this one. I forgot that one. We have a travel show. We have Seika Majeur and her husband, Brian, who they're they're having a baby and they're talking about being vegan in pregnancy. I don't want to leave anybody out. And I, I did because we have quite a few. Uh, Naja Wright-Brown, who's the owner of Land of Kush in Baltimore, and she does something. She's with, uh, I believe the name is the, well, I, she's, she runs a lot of organiza vegan organizations in Maryland. Mm -hmm. So we have a very diverse group. Uh, Sean Hill, the poet, is on. Uh, Andres, and I'm trying to remember his last name. I don't want to mispronounce it. He's going live from Latin America with his Lunch Break Live cooking show. And so... Uh, we have Erin Riley Carrasco, who does Saturday Snackdown. She was voted PETA's sexiest vegan over 50. She's amazing. She's mm -hmm. amazing. Her husband's in TV and he shoots it like a show. And by the way, we're in the process of establishing a Roku show where a lot of our content is going to go on Roku. And there's one other thing I have to tell you about is plant-based neighbor. We're creating an app that will allow vegans to connect with other vegans in their neighborhood, which is so crucial. And I'm working with John Mancuso of, he's, he's um, actually the nephew of Judy Mancuso, who's run social compassion legislation, an incredible animal organization. And uh, uh, I can tell you about that, but I would urge everybody sign up to plantbasednaybor.com. Yeah. It's going to be an app in uh, just very short period of time. Right now it's in beta testing as a website. Yeah, I was about to ask you about that. So I'm glad you brought it up because in addition to all of the work you're doing in media and in DIY media and in creating replicable media outlets and in mainstream media, you're also very, very supportive of what you call the veganomy. And so that's like one of my favorite terms ever, the veganomy. So I want to know what you mean by that and how the app plays into it. Well, what I realized was, and I realized it's going to a hairdresser who is not vegan and kind of was arguing with me over the course of cutting my hair about, you know, what people need to eat, et cetera, et cetera. I would call her a very nice person, but a carnist. And I left with a headache and I was like, oh my God, I can't do that again. And because it always comes up, you know how it is. And we usually don't bring it up. Somebody else brings it up, but, but, but. So I said, I just can't do that. Anyway, I'm giving money to somebody who's going to go out and buy steak or whatever. So I went looking for a vegan hairdresser and I found one nearby and she's fantastic. Mm. And she told me her boyfriend is a vegan handyman. So now I have a vegan handyman and we have on Jane Unchained, which is again, a 501c3 nonprofit. And please donate. You can give 10 bucks a month to help us do um, all of our content. We have a lot of costs, obviously. Uh, we need a bookkeeper. We need an accountant. We have, you know, legal issues that we have to Oh, we have to have rules and regs. And so we right. have to have lawyer, you know, a lawyer look at things. And so in any case, I, I realized 
in our society, money is power. And if we all started giving our money, our discretionary income to people who are vegan, we would support the veganomy. And so vegans would be exchanging money with each other as opposed to giving money to people who are going to buy meat products or leather or fur. So uh, there's a bunch of things that we're involved with. There's a vegan currency. uh, It's called Vegan Nation, which we have been trying to work with. They're in their development stage. And we hope to be able to give out some uh, Vegan Nation coin And essentially, the idea behind that would be that certain places, like let's say a Vegans, which is the vegan supermarket in Germany, which I've visited, which is extraordinary. It's like a Whole Foods, except 100% vegan. It's just, it's like you've died and gone to heaven when you're in Vegans, that they would ultimately take a certain percentage in vegan coin so that if I went to the hairdresser and this took off, maybe she could take 10% or the tip in vegan coin, then she could use that to purchase uh, some vegan cookies at another place. So we would be creating our own economy and there is strength in money. Uh, For example, we've also worked with folks who are part of the Black Lives Matter movement, notably Gwenna Hunter, who is the founder of Vegans for Black Lives Matter. And we've done a lot of live videos about how communities of color could take the power back by, for example, boycotting meat, boycotting fast food. In fact, we've aligned with Forward Latino, which is a workers' rights organization based out of Iowa, and we do a weekly roundtable called the Boycott Meat Roundtable, where we try to form coalitions with organizations that are not necessarily vegan, but for whatever reason, like workers' rights, want to boycott meat. And so very, very thrilled to be working with uh, Joe Enriquez Henry of Forward Latino. And he's begun eating plant-based because slaughterhouse workers are getting sick, getting infected and dying of COVID-19. It is one of the hotspots along with nursing homes and prisons. So we need to form coalitions. I think the attitude that we don't want to support slaughterhouse workers because they kill animals is wrong. They are also victims in the system. They are primarily extremely low income, mostly immigrant, mostly from Latin America, but actually from all over the world. 30 languages are spoken at one slaughterhouse alone. And so we can't, we can't ignore them. They, they have no other choice for a job. Quite often they come in doing this work. Nobody wants to work in a slaughterhouse and they're killing animals eight hours a day, and then getting COVID-19 because they've been falsely declared to be essential workers. And then there are efforts to deprive them of any right to, uh, that there's, that that, that the companies won't have liability for for their deaths and their illnesses. I mean, we need to form coalitions. And this is what I learned from one of my heroes, Anita Krines, the founder of the SAVE movement, who is truly brilliant. And she's the one who started the vigil movement, which is now just skyrocketing around the world, uh, vigils at slaughterhouses, bearing witness, comforting and giving water to pigs. And she said, you know, coalition building is the key. So we don't want an exclusive club. We want everybody to be vegan. So we don't even have to use the word vegan. It's just what it is. And to that end with plant-based neighbor, we're in the process of creating three tiers because we don't want exclusive clubs. So we have vegans, we have on the journey and we have veg curious so that, for example, if I have people who are veg curious in my neighborhood, 
then I could connect with them on plant-based neighbor and we can start mentoring them in a way. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I think that you're basically hitting all of the, all of the points here is that we have to meet, meet people with where they are, reach everyone from pregnant pe- women to, uh, to, to those who are working in, in slaughterhouses who need our support, form coalitions. And, you know, we could go on and on and on. There's so many various inroads here about how to change the world for animals. But I know that you have, a, what did you call it? A micro sanctuary of, of spoiled, of spoiled brats. Yeah. I call it the spoiled brat micro sanctuary. Uh, I shouldn't say that, but, um, it's funny. I have, I have four dogs and a cat and they are extraordinarily spoiled. That's why I have such respect for people who run sanctuaries. Cause these guys keep me busy all day long. They're very demanding. Cabo San Lucas is extremely demanding. I call him a VIC, a very important Chihuahua mix. So yes, they do keep me on my toes for sure. Mm. Well, you have me beat because I have three Chihuahuas and a cat. You've got four. So you're my mentor in that way too. <laughs> Uh, but, but one more question before, before we end, although I hope you stay on for a few extra minutes for the bonus content, but one more question, cause you probably have the best overview of the movement, both the fight against animal cruelty and the adoption of animal free foods of anyone. So how are we doing? Do you expect enormous change, Jane? Cause on one hand, I'm hearing you say like, y'all, we've got until 2026. That's it. And then on the other hand, I see you doing all of these projects and there's a lot of positivity there. There's a lot of hope. So like, which is it? Is it like a dire circumstance? Is it something that's working or is it both? Well, as a famous author said, it was the best of times and it was the worst of times. We are still killing animals at a dizzying rate and torturing them in the process. And still the vast majority of Americans are in complete denial and will call themselves animal lovers while paying for somebody else who's out of sight and out of mind to do the killing for them. And it's morally reprehensible. And most people don't want to hear it. I kind of use my own neighborhood as an example. I have lovely neighbors. Most of them are not vegan by a long shot, but I've noticed that three in the last year have started to become very veg curious. And one always talks to me about the vegan items that she's ordered and picking up. And another has asked me for a vegan food delivery service. And the third tells me when he goes to Burger King, he will order the plant-based burger and he's amazed that it tastes just like meat. So I think that's an example of what's happening around the world. And once you get to other people have said 3.5% of the population, you hit the tipping point and then everything flips. That great book by Malcolm Gladwell talks about the tipping point. And I think that we have hope in the new generation because they're not watching television, which is the primary brainwashing vehicle. Uh, One of the hallmarks of being brainwashed is you don't know you're brainwashed. The second you start realizing, whoa, what am I doing to myself? That's when you're starting to challenge the brainwashing. So the younger people are not watching television. I had a a young activist staying with me for a couple of months and uh, it was fascinating. She was 19 and something, I watched cable news, okay? I watched Rachel Maddow. In fact, I wrote her an email when she started talking about the meat packing, which of course, that's slaughterhouses. They call it meat packing, which sounds meat like plants. Pudding. Yeah, meat yeah. plants. It's, <laughs> meat it's plant. like, come on, really? Yeah. Do we also see like the play out, like the dichotomy there that it's a meat plant? No, it's like 
I'm yeah. so glad you wrote wrote to her because well, we just we just complain about it on our NFs. We don't actually reach out to her. Well, I complimented her for talking about it because just even talking about meat plants or slaughterhouses is very threatening to the industry. So you have to realize that I think it takes a lot of courage to go up and talk about slaughterhouses being hotbeds of COVID-19. But I proceeded to say that because she had said something like, nobody disputes that this is an essential business or words to that effect. And I was like, oh, yes, we do. <laughs> Millions of people who are living statistically healthier lives dispute that this is an essential business. This is the cause of all our problems. It's the cause of climate change. It's the cause of uh, human world hunger because animals eat so much more than they produce as food. It's the cause of uh, our healthcare problem with one out of every four people prior to COVID dying of, of heart disease with processed meat being cancer causing. And I, I laid it all out for her and then I put Dr. Silas Rao's white paper that posits that animal agriculture is actually responsible for 87% of climate change, not the 14.5% that the mainstream media uses, which is completely skewed. And shame on them for, for not looking into that. And outrageous that they will not rectify that. But see, that's the culture uh, a carnist culture doesn't want to see the truth. They just want to be able to have plausible deniability. And uh, anyway, I did write her an email explaining all that. And then funny enough, I, I do watch her show because she's quite brilliant. And that's one of the things. It's like if you're so brilliant that you can understand the nuances of the Mueller investigation and analyze what's happening right now uh, better than anybody, how come you can't understand these basic facts about animal agriculture's negative impact? And I said the first journalist, just like Walter Cronkite, it was a turning point in the in the Vietnam War where he finally said something and spoke his mind. The first journalist who actually talks mainstream journalist in one of these cable shows who who connects animal suffering also to the issue of the slaughterhouses as well as what's happening to the workers. That will be a turning point. But the young people are not as brainwashed. They're on social media. Social media is just completely overflowing with vegan content. I mean, look at Billie Eilish. She's one of, she, I don't know how many millions of people follow her and she's a vegan and she she posts things about it on her Instagram. So they are the hope. I feel like we should all go after the low hanging fruit. I've been guilty of trying to get that one last relative who won't buckle and won't listen. And don't waste your time. Go for the low hanging fruit. Go for people who are curious. Go for people who are more open minded. And we we just need to get to that 3.5%. And I think we are going to get there. And the last thing I'll say is that I didn't think of this. This is Dr. Rao. When this pandemic first happened, I was obviously sad and confused. And I was doing a live video. And he said, this is an intervention from Mother Nature. And Mother mm. Nature is saying, go to your rooms. You've been bad. Think about how you're living your life and either come out more evolved or we're finished. And so I think we're starting to see skyrocketing purchases of plant-based meats. Even with the restaurants closed, the uh, amount of, you know, not as accessible, let's put it that way, the amount of plant-based meat being sold in grocery stores is skyrocketing. We know that the only thing keeping the dairy industry afloat is a government intervention, which I think is one of the reasons why they're so insistent on having kids go back to school so they can whip out those cheese caves and those milk containers, those cow's breast milk containers, and and try to force kids to drink it. But kids are not sitting around like leave it to beaver eating and drinking a glass of milk in the morning. So everything's changing. You know, in the 14th century, when they had the plague, which was tragic and killed half of Europe, 
it went from a feudalistic society to a much more modern society where the merchants and the serfs and the clergy and the nobles began intermingling, which they hadn't before. And so, and the pandemic in the early 20th century also caused dramatic changes in the culture. The same thing is happening here. And it's not just <clears throat> working remotely, which so many people are doing now and not driving as much. And uh, the demise of sort of those giant department stores, et cetera. But it's also people being more careful about their food, cooking at home. And when you cook at home, there's a greater tendency, I think, to be able to cook plant-based because you're not just doing the fast food. I, I have hope. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's good. And I think hope is something we can opt into as well. Like we can, even if we're just going with it. We have an inkling that there's hope. If we go with it, it can be used strategically to keep us going as activists and to focus on the good as well as the dire. So, Jane, you are an incredible, incredible activist. Can you just please tell our listeners how they can find you online and support your efforts and watch your shows? Yeah, we'll go to janeunchained.com and subscribe. We send out twice a week an email blast with the latest vegan news. We work very hard on it. We have the very latest with videos of things like we just yesterday, we did Goat to Meeting, which is a great program that allows uh, sanctuary animals to appear on Zooms, which is keeping the sanctuaries involved alive. There's about 30 sanctuaries involved and very fun stuff. We also have the recipes from our daily lunch break live cooking shows. So you can see how somebody makes something or just go straight to the recipe and print it out. Um, so janeunchained.com is the hub. And then just all you have to do is put in new day, new chef, new day, new chef support and feed. And you're right there on Amazon's free if you're an Amazon Prime member and uh, you can watch that content. And, you know, we're going to have a big watch party on the 16th for the support and feed edition. We want to get people watching the show and it's really important for vegans to watch it and write a review. So new day, new chef, new day, new chef support and feed. And then if you're uh, still interested, check out Countdown to Year Zero. Jane, thank you so much. I love you. And I'm just such a giant fan of yours. And I, I'm, I'm so grateful to you for sharing all of this with the world and with our henhouse today. I hope you stay on for just a, a couple more minutes. But thank you so much for joining us today in our henhouse. Thank you for having me. And join plantbasedneighbor.com. <laughs> Definitely. Our Hen House has a family of podcasts. In addition to the Our Hen House podcast, which you're listening to right now, you can also listen to the Animal Law podcast or the Teaching Jasmine How to Cook Vegan podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you like what you hear and what's not to like, please, please leave us a friendly review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps us tremendously because that's how we grow. And that's how we reach more and more people with information on how to change the world for animals. Thanks for listening. Anxieties arising. And when I say anxieties arising, I mean anxieties are seriously rising. All right, this is the meat business column by Gregory Bloom on meetingplace.com. It's time to beef up your plant security. Starts out talking about three years ago, he was in Santo Domingo in the Dominican Republic, and he noticed that there was really, really huge security on slaughterhouses, which of course he calls meat plants or something along those lines. No, meat processing and distribution companies. He's saying, you know, there was a lot, lot of poverty there, a lot of theft. 
And now, I do believe that, he says, sadly, the current social unrest in the U.S., namely the riots and looting, are not a temporary phenomenon that will go away anytime soon. I think they are the new, unpredictable normal going forward and that we had better prepare to protect our people and property. This guy is definitely watching too much Fox News. Oh, my God. Depending on where you are in the country and what your local neighborhood is like, this may mean you should follow the example of food production and distribution companies in other parts of the world. Measures may include removing your company sign, building a concrete wall or security fences, and installing metal gates. Okay, like, calm down, calm down. Has there been one report of any kind of violence or riot or looting at a quote-unquote meat plant? But, you know, he points out, we, de- we deal in high demand, highly theftable goods. It's better to err on the side of caution than to be caught unprepared when it really matters. Security measures are the most reliable insurance you can invest in for the long run. Like I said, anxiety is rising. Like, what are you talking about? Like, the meat company, these meat companies have enough to worry about in the, the horrors that are taking place in their facilities without worrying that somebody's going to break into these he- already heavily secure facilities and steal their stupid meat. Oh my God, calm down. Well, this was so ridiculous that it actually is causing dissension on meetingplace.com. Uh, in the Meet Your Markets column by Matt Graves, pull up the drawbridge, the barbarians are at the gate. He actually kind of uh, is taking the other side of this article. Dissension within the ranks. So he says, I want to get your attention to recent suggestions that our meat and poultry processing plants may face looters or worse. And the way to stop them is to arm the guards that patrol the plant's perimeters, as well as some of those who work at these plants. He just not crazy about this idea. And he points out these suggestions. What if consumers want to demonstrate at a plant's gates about the company's products or perceived company injustices? How are the looters and anarchists to be differentiated from the constitutionally protected protesters? What if the employees want to organize and picket the plant to demand they be represented by a union? Are they to be shot? Well, I mean, Mac, good for you. <laughs> like, good for you. And wouldn't you suggest uh, or suspect that these things that he's pointing out, like, you know, protests, unionizers, actually might be what these people are really frightened of and not these imaginary looters that they've made up. And he also asks really good questions. Who are these plant militia, plant by plant, he means like the meat plant, armed plant militia brandishing their weapons going to shoot? Are they fully trained? Uh, Do we want to make armed camps out of our processing plants? Really interesting. Should the meat and poultry industry players do something similar to help address these societal ills. We are an industry with a workforce that is predominantly black and brown. Is it incumbent on us to help our workers live in a just society and not in fear? To do that, we need to demonstrate leadership. Well, I hate to like, you know, say good things about anybody in the meat industry, but you know, good for you. That's enough of that nonsense. All right. This is from the Pearls and Pork column by Angie Krieger. So cute. Pearls and Pork. Also on Meeting Place. Meeting Place is just chock full of anxiety this week. What grandpa taught me about being authentic. And then she writes this long column about her her grandfather, which is all fine. Uh, he was a farmer and she loved him. Then uh, her grandfather is apparently in a nursing home. This September 1st, i.e. Labor Day, a day she normally spent with her grandfather. I didn't get to celebrate with grandpa, but it was still a special day for me. 
It was the day our team at the National Pork Board launched our new master brand strategy. All right, wait for this. The name of their new master brand strategy. This is truly hilarious. Is real pork. Do you think they're a little anxious about cell-based meat? That's their new line. That's what they're going to call it. Real pork. And what they're going to do, and she's going to discuss this in upcoming blogs, so look forward to that. The complexity of trying to develop a master brand for an entire industry and the challenges and the rewards. Quote, for the first time, the pork board will market pork to consumers by including and celebrating the farm-to-fork story. We will tell the stories of our farmers in the most authentic ways possible and connect those stories to how consumers feel when they enjoy all the wonderful flavors of pork. Uh, seriously? Seriously? All right, I can't wait to see this. And I can't wait for somebody to sue them if they start, like, actually discussing what they want people to think, what the pork industry is like, and what we all know, how these these poor animals are treated. Because there ain't no way they're going to be able to include and celebrate the farm-to-fork story unless uh, they lie. (laughs) Maybe they'll just talk about the farmers and, you know, how their kids go to school or something really wholesome like that and just ignore what's happening to the pigs. I can't wait to see real pork as opposed to fake pork. All right. One more thing from Meeting Places. I said they're on a roll this week. Back to school time for activists, even virtually. This is from Hannah thompson Weeman, who does the Animal Ag Watch column. She is really concerned about what's going on in the schoolroom. I'll tell you, Hannah, I am too. (laughs) Our concerns aren't identical, but I am also concerned. So she's, you know, she's pointing out like this is a tough time for schools. But even, even so, we can't forget, quote, about how animal rights activist groups are attempting to get access to classrooms in order to promote their messaging about the alleged evils of animal agriculture to students. Activist groups believe animal rights is a movement of young people. And they want to start exposing kids to the idea that animals are equal to humans as early as possible. Since nobody's proposing the idea that animals are equal to humans, you know, obviously. But I felt the need to point that out, even though you already know that. She's really focused on one particular program that I admit I am not sufficiently familiar with. It's called Educated Choices Program. And it usually sends instructors uh, into the classroom and claims and I'm sure their claim is accurate, to have spoken to 1.5 million students in 60,000 schools since 2015. Wow. I have to say, wow. And they don't, you know, I I checked out their website, and they don't really use the word vegan. They don't really seem to even talk so much about, you know, cutting, uh, about eliminating meat. They they come from a more positive approach, plant-based diet, plant-centric diet. But among the things that they're focusing is on how modern farming and agricultural practices contribute to present-day public health concerns, how the current global demand for animal products and related crops affect ecosystems and our health through global warming, et cetera, et cetera. They also talk about cultivated meat, the ethics of eating. All right. So are you convinced yet that they have a vegan agenda? You know, I'm not positive either, but the either is Hannah. But she, or she's worried that her readers are, are not sure. If you're still questioning the agenda behind their instruction, ECP offers a next steps guide with resources for eating a plant-based diet and convincing your school cafeteria to offer more plant-based foods. Oh my God. 
<laughs> well, I got to love these people. So she's worried that by switching to on-demand videos rather than live presentations, they're going to be able to get reach even more students. But the one thing she is happy about is that the Alliance, you know, she works for the Animal Agriculture Alliance, is bringing back their College Aggies Online Scholarship Competition. Okay, whatever. <laughs> I mean, I actually am very concerned about the extent to which the meat industry gets into the schools, but I'm really not worried about the College Aggies Online Competition. What I am more concerned about is something that's pointed out in one of the Beef Daily columns by Amanda Radke, is the tools that the industry puts out for teachers and parents and to be agriculturally accurate. Things like uh, My American Farm Bureau, they have a list of agriculturally accurate books. And things, things like The Stakes, S-T-E-A-K-S, Are High by the Beef Chekhov. Well, that sounds neutral. Home on the Rocking Our Ranch. Join Rusty, Rosie, and Raspberry on their ranch adventures. Grab your boots and spurs and don't forget your cowboy hat. Oh my God, ranch life. <laughs> They're covering the story of ranch life. Cattle kids, a year on the Western Range. Blah, blah, blah. Pumpkin Circle, the story of a garden. Well, that one sounds okay. Do they kill anybody? I don't know. Protect the Harvest has, has come up with a, a list of uh, lesson plans. That should be great. And it goes on and on, on and on and on. Everybody in the industry is putting this stuff out for kids. It's really scary. So I'm glad that the news this week is really more emphasizing the stuff that, you know, the plant-based folks are, are, are doing which sounds pretty damn good, too, and has the additional advantage of being true. And that's it for this week's Rising Anxieties. Well, that's it for this week's show. As always, if you like the podcast and you're able in these difficult times, you can support us by joining our flock at ourhenhouse.org slash donate for $10 a month or $100 a year. Or you can make whatever donation you're comfortable with. Another great way to support us is to leave a fabulous review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to podcasts or like us on Facebook. You could also leave us a review there or follow us on Twitter or Instagram at at Our Hen House. If you shop on Amazon, you can use Amazon Smile using Our Hen House as your favorite charity. And of course, tell your friends about us. If you're one of our listeners who already supports us, thank you so much. And thank you to my co-host, Marianne Sullivan, and to Jen Riley for her work in producing this podcast, and to composer Michael Heron for the music. Thanks to Podcast Haven for their work editing this podcast, and to our production assistant, Jocelyn Martinez. We will be back next week with a brand new show, so don't forget to subscribe in Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're a Flock member, remember to check your email or the Flock Facebook group on Tuesday for your bonus content and join us on Fridays for Flock Fridays, where we do some really cool Zooms that you'll want to join. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm Jasmine Singer, and be safe out there. Social distance, stay home, wash your hands, and listen to podcasts. <laughs>